podcast all about the over 1.5 million people living within and transforming the triangle and i'm your host john carter uh i might sound a little quiet that's because i'm recording very late uh in a hotel room in israel so i'm overseas this week um visiting family and uh i've had i've had the best time here i might even do a separate episode about some of the things i noticed and some of the um the ties from the triangle to Israel. It's fascinating. Uh, among them, I had the opportunity to see the Dead Sea Scrolls. If you don't know what the Dead Sea Scrolls are, look them up. It's a pretty significant uh, historical um, event, but basically um, uh, this uh, shepherd found um, basically there's a book in the Bible called Isaiah, and this proves that the Bible has not changed since it was written thousands of years ago. So that was fascinating. The reason I mention it is because Duke University is mentioned um, at the museum. Uh, As it turns out, after they were discovered, they went to the States and were featured at Duke University. So um, I thought that was, that made me so happy to see something from the Triangle um, all the way, you know, this big museum in Israel. So, okay. Anyway, might do another episode, but I'll get to that later. Um, okay, so this episode is all about folklore and ghosts. And before you think I'm weird, uh, this is actually really interesting. Uh, I have a guy uh, named Craig Pace. He joins the podcast. He's super knowledgeable about folklore in North Carolina, uh, specifically the Triangle. So we talk first about Devil's Tramping Ground, which is an area uh, just outside of Pittsburgh. And I'm going <laughs> to... It's on the edge of the 919, so I'm going to count it. Uh, I had a couple people uh, over the course of the past few months mention that I should do a podcast about this, so here I am. You're welcome. Um, this is for you. Um, but it's really interesting. They, he, he really likes to talk about the, the philosophy behind folklore in North Carolina, so we talk about that. But then we wrap up, and um, I ask him some basically ghost stories or whatever in the triangle. So if, if you're a bit squeamish, um, you know, listen with the lights on or something. I'm just kidding, but it, it's really fun. We had a lot of fun talking. He's super knowledgeable, so um, yeah, enjoy. Okay, I'm joined by Craig Pace of NorthCarolinaGhost.com, and we are talking about some folklore in the Triangle area. Craig, thanks for joining the 919 podcast. Oh, very glad to be speaking with you this afternoon, John. So, Craig, I you know I originally reached out because a listener actually suggested that they wanted to hear more about um, Devil's Tramping Ground, which we'll get into. Um, but as you and I got connected, that's kind of evolved more into let's talk about folklore in general. Let's talk about some maybe some ghost stories in the Triangle area, maybe North Carolina or the South. Um, but before we get into that, let's start by maybe you sharing who you are, um, how you got to be kind of a, an expert on this subject, and uh, yeah, we'll go from there. It was, uh, I got to be an expert, if you want to call me that, uh, almost entirely by accident. Um, this started off, the website started off in, two, in around 2003 in an early version of it. I was taking some classes in information design, 
at North Carolina State at the time, and there was this brand new technology called blogging, which I said, hey, let me let me get a sense of how that works. So, you know, got a domain, threw up a blog, and said, well, I need to have something to write about. So I just started a travel blog. I had just bought a new car. I was going around the state a lot on weekends, uh, you know, taking pictures. Of, let's start writing about this on the blog just to have some content up there. And looking at the metrics, I noticed that uh, a lot of most anytime I mentioned a ghost or a ghost story or anything you know, paranormal, if you will, the visits to the site would jump through the roof for that post. So I figured, well, maybe there's something here and eventually just spun it off to its own site. And then roughly about nine or 10 years ago, I started realizing that this was being used uh, very frequently by uh, schools in North Carolina as part of the cultural curriculum. They teach folklore uh, in elementary schools across the state. And I said, you know, I kind of got to start taking this seriously if kids are going to be reading this stuff. (laughs) And so I, you know, took a real effort to educate myself and I mean, it extended from a natural interest. I was interested in these, these stories to begin with. I grew up in North Carolina, and you had heard a lot, so many of these stories uh, when I was just as a child. And I said, let's start looking a little deeper into this. And that's when the site built from there. So accidentally is a short answer. Accidentally. Um, yeah, we'll call you an expert. Um, okay. I don't, I don't know if a folklore expert or ghost expert. Um, not like on TV, but a, a blog, you know, you, you write about ghosts and everything. I think it's, I think it's interesting. Mm-hmm. And, um, now you, you went to NC state. Um, so you've lived in triangle most of your life or. Um, I'm currently not, we, I moved away a while back. My wife's job has taken us across the country and we finally settled down, hopefully permanently, uh, up in Detroit. So I'm working remotely and get back to North Carolina as often as I can. I still have family there. My brother and his children and my parents are still living in Raleigh and Chapel Hill. So uh, I get back on the camp. But yes, I was born, uh, grew up there in the 70s and 80s and you know, lived there for a good chunk of my life until I uh, married a college professor and then found out that means you're going to be shipped across the country an awful lot. <laughs> Fun. Um, well, it's good you come back. And so originally this website, it started about North Carolina folklore or has that expanded <laughs> To kind of the south, you know. What, what... The focus is chiefly on North Carolina. It's difficult to tell these stories exclusively about North Carolina because so many, so many of the tropes, so many of the cultural patterns, so many of the motifs are spread across the south. And I'm actually working on kind of a major update at the moment, uh, where I hope to get pub- begin publishing, you know, sometime in the next month or so, where I'm going to be start veering uh, outside just of uh, folk uh, stories and you know, ghost stories and actually looking at folk magic practices, um, you know, Appalachian folk magic, uh, hoodoo, conjure, root work, that sort of thing. And so those practical sides of folklore uh, dealing with the supernatural, if, if you will, because uh, there's a whole bunch of fascinating stories there. Well, let's get into it. So, um, you know, originally what draw, draw us uh, together, drew us together was the mm-hmm. devil's tramping ground. So, this is a spot. Let me set up for you. You can you can tell me where I'm wrong or you know add some more detail. But this is a spot just south of Siler City, maybe an hour mm-hmm. from Kennedy. Um, so maybe this is on the edge. To be fair, this is on the edge of the 919. Uh, so some might you know want to say oh, it doesn't really count as the Triangle area, but we're going to count it. Um, it's interesting. 
So maybe can you give the listeners the rundown of what this place is, you know, what the rumors are. So what is the Devil's Tramping Ground? Well, the Devil's Tramping Ground is basically a hole in the woods. It's a clear spot where the story is, the traditional story, and one of the traditional stories, we'll get into some more of them, but that this is where the devil walks at night uh, plotting the downfall of mankind and his, you know, hoofy satanic footprints make it so nothing will grow in the spot. And according to tradition, if you leave any object, no matter what size, with inside the circle, it will be moved outside the circle before dawn. And so it, basically it's a bare spot in the woods in uh, southern Chatham County, right near Harper's Crossroads. And it's about, it's about 15, 20 minutes south of Siler City. Okay. And, and um, is it hard to get to? Is it just kind of off? Like, would you have to really know where you're going before? Or are there signs that say, here's the devil's tramping ground, or here's where, you know, Satan is, or has that? that <laughs> Insert devil here. Um, yeah. That's exactly where it starts to get complicated. So the accounts of the devil's tramping ground, I've been able to trace back at least to the late 19th century. There's a one reference in a newspaper um, that I found from that time. But there's photographic evidence from across the course of the 20th century. And I'm honestly not entirely sure if we're dealing with a devil's tramping ground or devil's tramping grounds. There are the places look substantially different in a lot of the photographs. And Part of the thing is before the age of, you know, Google Maps um, and, you know, user-based data, you could just drop a pin on it. I'm not entirely – it would be difficult to direct somebody to, oh, there's a hole in the woods somewhere in Chatham County. Right. Um, and so part of the thing is who these are not uh, – clearings like this in the pine forests are not all that unusual. Um, so it's possible there may be other sites nearby that have been the Devil's Tramping Ground at some point in time, and the just got marked on the map in this in the past few years as being the permanent site. Again, I'm not entirely sure about that. I haven't found any hard evidence that it was a different place at a different time, but I have um, spoken with people who like, there's a gas station not too far from there, and. Going in, uh, asking, we're asking for directions to the Devil's Tramp Ground. Let's say, uh, well, do you want where it is now or where it used to be? Uh, so <laughs> there may it may have moved in time, but the site itself is not difficult to get to, and that's part of its popularity. Um, there's a concept in sociology and in folklore called legend tripping, and this is basically a way for, you know, generally young people to prove their bravery and sort of challenge themselves, but in a very safe format. So you break into a haunted house or you go to a site which is supposedly haunted, you go to the devil's tramping ground, you go somewhere where there's, you know, the ax murderer house, you ring the doorbell and run away. It's a way to sort of prove your bravery without having any real threat. And this is kind of an adolescent bonding behavior. Um, mm-hmm. And it's pretty common. And the, in terms of legend tripping locations, the Devil's Tramping Ground is absolutely perfect. 
It is about equidistant between UNC Greensboro and University of North Carolina Chapel Hill State. All your 911, um, all, not all your 919 universities right there, and like high schools and such. It's easy to get to, but it feels difficult to get to because you do have to drive through some dark forest to get there, and the road winds a little bit, and it feels it feels like a longer trip than it actually is getting there. And so it's a good spot to sort of challenge yourself and be brave and feel like you're doing something daring going off into the woods at night. Whereas, you know, it's actually probably you're not going to get eaten by anything demonic there nine probably. times out of ten. Yeah. And that's it's funny. It's actually one of the new um, – one of the latest twists on this is that you can actually – there are Google re- Google reviews of the Devil's Tramping Ground. Which um, kind of descri- usually describe it as disappointing. So the experience is really the de- the, the the experience is the destination in these in going to some place like this. So the idea is like what you said: the devil is <clears throat> pacing back and forth, plotting out how to destroy mm-hmm. uh, mankind. What are some of and that's why the ground nothing grows. What are some of the other um, theories? Well, they have. Um, one of the other things about this is, yes, you're right, the explanations for what this is and why nothing will grow there, which also is kind of exaggerated, um, have changed substantially over the years. I remember when I was young in the 70s, it was all about UFOs. Was what I was like, this is where a UFO landed. Um, the, there is um, the Devil's One, the UFOs are one. Uh, there was a Bigfoot story going around a while. One of the one which is sort of earlier, going back to about the 40s, and this is in the I think the John Harden Devil's Tramping Ground book, and this is where we're going to get into a little – some of the difficulties with folklore is that it was the site of um, a couple of indigenous Native American tribes. There was a, either a battle there or they performed um, some kind of um, – this is just – I'm recounting earlier folklore here. Um, this is where they held rituals and such. And one of these ba- there's one story that even like the losing band in the battle fled the area and moved out to the coast where they became the Croatan tribe, who later welcomed uh, Sir Walter Raleigh's colonists. Um, now, there's absolutely no historical evidence for this whatsoever, and it's also part of the odd thing of the way folklore works. Uh, all too often is that folklore is stories people tell about themselves and how they define themselves. There's a whole bunch of assumptions that go into these stories. It's sort of from a, a baseline. It's like a cultural ontology. It's a way you can a way you see the world in a very very basic level without even stopping to question it. I mean, like we have been talking about this as a devil's tramping ground, but devil is in there, and the devil, um, you know, is out to steal human souls, and he's a necessary force for evil. Well, that is a very specific uh, Christian tradition, specifically a Christian Protestant tradition, the way it's expressed, and that, you know, even there are other traditions and. It, you know, speaking personally, it's not part of my own religious tradition. So, looking at these 
perspectives, it, it assumes a lot about how you look at the world. And when you can and accepting these premises blindly and just assuming their default noise is part of what makes it folklore, that it is stories which make sense within a specific cultural context. Gotcha. And part of the problem with that is in defining folklore, you have folk and not folk. Folklore can often be as much about who is not allowed to be folk as who is allowed to be folk. And in a multicultural you know, situation like, you know, like North Carolina is, this can be difficult. So going back to some of the earliest contacts with Europeans, with the indigenous peoples of North America, you have this association with, um, and this is, I think, particularly like up, up in Salem and witchcraft and all of the association with the dark forest and the dark forces of nature and, you know, the, basically the Indians and Native Americans as embodiments of these demonic forces or in league with these demonic forces is a very, very common trope in white American culture going back from that first contact. And that's not necessarily a, a good thing. In fact, probably not a good thing because this, you know, dark forbidding forest was unlike anything the Europeans had encountered, but to the, you know, to the natives, it was home uh, that, and it was not so much forbidding as just they didn't, the Europeans did not understand it. And it was not so much a blind wilderness as a cultivated space in ways, in forms of agriculture, which, and husbandry, the, the Europeans didn't fully understand. So that encounter with the unknown, forces um, the ideas about the ideas that the culture brings with them, they impose upon that other culture and contextualize them within that context. And that just doubled back on itself, but you see what I mean. It's that you understand other cultures through your own lens and telling stories about other cultures and how they are different from yours is part of what makes folklore folklore. So this tradition with the Devil's Champion Ground, that it is, you know, a come a, where the dark and unnatural Indians lived in the wilderness, um, is part of the cultural inheritance of North Carolina, which we probably need to think about critically. And also the fact that, again, talking about legend tripping, going into the woods, if you have these, you know, dark forces in the woods, coming into contact with them, transfer some of the power to you so that you get to prove your superiority to the dark forces by coming in contact with the dark forces and surviving it. And when you're dealing on a level where maybe those dark forces aren't actually real, Hold then, on. <laughs> yeah, then, yeah, that's, that's kind of a, it just it's a feedback loop where you know your superiority is proven by the fact that you are superior because you think you're superior. That was probably way too rambling. No, that, that was a lot, but I think I think I got what you're saying. And I'm wondering okay. is that so? This is also known as more recently the Chatham uh, County Vortex. So right. Is that, oh. is that like a rebranding? That yeah, that um, I have not seen this myself, and again, that's one of the reasons why I think there may be a couple of tramping grounds out there. This was a sign which went up in, I think, 
somewhere between about 2003 and 2010, I'm not sure exactly, but there was a sign up at one of the sites they were identifying this as um, the Chatham Energy Vortex, uh, which was apparently a connection to something called Magdalene Energy, which is a concept I can't fully explain. It seems to be somehow connected with um, the idea of ley lines in England, another, you know, another uh, folk concept. And um, that there was a sign up somewhere near there. I've seen pictures of it. I haven't actually seen it myself that says, you know, this is the Chatham Energy Vortex. It's, you know, Magdalene Energy, which is interesting in an attempt to recast this in a positive light. And you'll find, you'll find this um, time and time again with these sites. Like the sites remain, as the culture changes, the explanation for the site changes around it. And a term for this, I want to give a shout out to um, Christopher Balzano over at um, the Tripping on Legends podcast. We came up with this term in a Twitter discussion together, but he deserves some of the credit. Um, but it is when you have legends accumulating onto a spot and they just pile up and pile up and pile up, it becomes cluster folking. Clusters of folklore <laughs> just developing around it. Nice. Yeah. Uh, well, I saw that. I thought that was pretty interesting. A um, couple of different names for it. Let's go in, uh, and you've been mentioning more North Carolina stuff and devil, mm -hmm. but I mean, <clears throat> and this is also on your site, so I can't really. I did not do the research um, to find this list, but there's in North Carolina, there's Devil's Rock Courthouse, Seven Devils, Kill Devil Hills, Devil's Branch, Chimney, Nest, Elbows, Forks, Knob, and a Tater Patch. So <laughs> I don't know. That's oh, two Devil's Rocks, actually. Oh, excuse me. Uh, rock One and Rock Two. So there, there's a lot yeah. of uh, different sites or Devil sites in North Carolina. So kind of going off what you said earlier. Yeah, this actually. And that's kind of interesting, too, because if you follow the path of those devils, you're going to find basically the path of Scotch-Irish immigration into uh, North Carolina, you know, along the Cape Fear and up into the Appalachians. And naming things after the devil was a pretty common practice, uh, culturally brought over from Northern England and um, Northern Ireland and, you know, bits of Scotland, where those that where that immigration group was pulled in from. So that's a naming convention that comes very specifically from that culture group. And just mapping those things out, it is kind of fascinating because it does follow that settlement path. You know, there's variations here and there, but, you know, pretty good. It goes along with it. I think so that's, you know, a, that's a specific trope, cultural trope that can be traced back to one cultural group. I think it's really interesting. We, we were talking about different influences, um, you know, and where superstitions come from. And I think mm -hmm. that, that Scotch-Irish immigration, you know, fed into it. And then you have these other influences from Native American. And then you have, I mean, over the years, it's just um, all become, I don't know, there's a lot of different um, uh, folklore legends um, because of all these influences. I think it's really interesting. Like, it, there, there can't be too many places in the world like this. Well, there's nothing like North Carolina, of course. But I mean... Um, you know, as far as folklore goes, I can't think of, I, can you think of anywhere else as unique as North Carolina? Well, well, I can think of a lot of other places as unique in North Carolina, but they're all unique in their own ways. Um, sure. I think what makes North Carolina special is that 
it is it is that confluence of different influence which you just mentioned and uh we really need to give a shout out to like the african traditions in north carolina that have uh played so much of a part in this that were brought over uh you know the african and afro-caribbean that fed into these traditions um and that interaction particularly in the appalachian region where you have uh these cultures really bending and playing together and then a further influence coming down from like pennsylvania dutch uh, influence really brings a really neat culture. So it's that Appalachian region is where a lot of that excitement is happening. If you're going to ask me to sing, single something which makes North Carolina unique, it's that. It's that the way the traditions play off each other, merge, and create new things, and are constantly creating new things. That's awesome, Craig. Thanks for that. And um, yeah, I think I think at the end of the day, um, people listening to this uh, podcast, they are probably from the Triangle. So they're thinking, yeah. what you know, what ghosts or what kind of folklore stories uh, are in the Triangle area that they should know about? So, that's uh, I'm going to turn it over to you. What are some What are some quick stories um, around the Triangle area, Raleigh or Durham or Chapel Hill? Um, yeah. Well, I'm going to um, call it one place in Raleigh, which is off of Western Boulevard on Bill U Avenue. Um, at least it was last time I was still there. It's probably condos by now. But there was um, a little spot known as Crybaby Lane, which is supposedly the site of an orphanage fire back in the 50s. And it's a you know, it's a little abandoned strip of land. You go there, you're supposed to be able to smell uh, smoke burning and hear the children crying. Um which you know it's a fairly traditional kind of you know haunted spot story that you know something bad happened here these spirits remain you can there's these after effects you can find them what's interesting is there was actually a orphanage not quite there but very close by the nazareth catholic community which owned um, a good stretch of land in what is now you know what was south of raleigh and now is rapidly becoming central raleigh i think south raleigh's fish uh, ships even further south that existed there in the late 19th and early 20th century. They originally owned the land that is now Poland Park. And there were several orphanage, there was, there was an orphanage on the premises, and there were several fires there. None of them um, totally devastating. One resulted from a priest made the um, fascinating decision to try to get rid of a hornet's nest by setting it on fire and set the whole building on fire. Oh, in some ways, that folk memory, the idea that there was an orphanage here, that there was this community here, gets passed down and just the shape transforms. So there's a little grain of truth in there, but it just has this whole layer and layers coming right. out on top of it. And that's right That's right near uh, Pullen Park, which is, is pretty neat. So Crybaby Lane. Yeah. Um, yes. Talk to me about the Mordecai House. Go. Well, it's, it's actually pronounced Mordecai, which is kind of interesting. Um, Mordecai. Yes, that is the Mordecai family. Um, we're not entirely sure when it traditionally would be pronounced Mordecai. Um, gets pronounced more, changes to Mordecai maybe when he marries an Episcopalian. We're not sure. Uh, the Mordecais were one of the most pro, one of the first really prominent and influential Ashkenazi Jewish families in the southern United States. Um, they were, you know, and the. One of the one of the sons um, marries into the family and takes over this house, and it is one of the oldest houses in Raleigh. And apparently, there's a um, a story of a gray lady who appears 
no one's entirely sure what it is or like will appear near a piano. Um, talk to me about the ghost of Poole Woods. Okay, so this is, again, um, this is kind of one of those lost cause stories. This is, there was a um, man by the name of, it was William Poole, who owned um, the house in the huge acres of woods, a stretch of land over what's now Poole Woods. It's all strip malls now. Um, also, apparently, very fond of horses, and he had one particular white horse that he just loved to go riding through the woods on. And during the Civil War, um, there was rumors that he had property, gold buried on his property. And um, uh, some Union soldiers came and um, didn't find the gold. It wasn't there, but did steal his horse. So this idea that there's, you know, the you know Southern manhood, Southern you know nobility was violated by um, Northern aggression, and they took his horse because they were all dishonorable. And now he rides his um, rides his horse through the woods at night. And the interesting thing too is also he refused to stay. But it's also what seems to have condemned him for um, to be a ghost was that he refused to sell the trees for timber, uh, which was a major industry in North Carolina at the time. I mean, most of those tall pine trees we see around were have spread because they were originally planted for sh- to make the massive ships. Um, the um, so he was violating social norms by refusing to sell that wood. Now we consider him an environmentalist, like, you know, preserving the things. And yeah, I mean, I don't know if he actually rides his horse through Denny's now. <laughs> you could be there at, uh, you know, one o'clock in the morning and um, I'm sure you see a pale horse riding that. through. Yeah. I'm I'm, sure you know, and I'm not sure that, you know, honestly, that, Having been at Denny's in the one at one o'clock in the morning, and not surprised if people were seeing somebody riding through on a horse. More than that, yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, okay, I think I think we're we're wrapping up, but um, okay. I mean, I'm just looking over your website. There, there's lots of you go through the mountains, Piedmont coast. Mm-hmm. I mean, you cover all of these stories. Uh, I'm sure there are more, but I mean, you're pretty thorough. Um, so I'd recommend. Oh, there are plenty more. Check out the website. Sure. Yeah, the website, the URL is NorthCarolinaGhosts.com. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at NCGhosts. Well, definitely uh, we'll want to check out the website. And um, anything else uh, you wanted to plug? Any other uh, I, lasting thoughts to leave with people? No, um, just, yeah, keep telling the stories. Think critically about what you're telling. Uh, keep the stories alive, but don't be afraid to let them change as the culture changes. Um, we can we can make an inclusive new folklore that is respects the differences and celebrates the differences that are present in this state. Just anybody can North Carolina should be a place where anybody can be folk. Awesome. Um, well, Craig, this has been great. I, I, I <laughs> like that you know we started with Devil's Tramping Ground, but it's gone into more philosophical. Uh, I, I think that's that's neat. And uh, I'm glad, yeah, I don't know if there's too many more people uh, in North Carolina or beyond that uh, could offer, you know, this much expertise on this subject. So I appreciate you joining. Oh, I appreciate Thank you so much. It was a pleasure speaking with you. You just listened to Craig Pace talk about folklore in North Carolina. If this is your first time listening, follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, 
and Facebook at the 919 Podcast, and make sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify or iTunes. And until next time, thanks for listening.